0: Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording.
1: Our call to confession today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And though it doesn't speak directly to confessing sin it does speak to the unity and diversity of one body in Christ. So 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made to the drink into one Spirit, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So Christ and his church form one body, head and and members. Each member has its own form or place or use. And in this day of wokeness and craziness, equity and inclusion, the Bible clearly states there's a distinction between the members of the body. There's a difference. Christ's members have different strengths and abilities in different places. We should do the duties of our own place and not murmur or quarrel, or slander, or be jealous of the others. All the members of the body are useful and necessary to each other. And just as the members of, uh, of the natural man, body of man are all held together by muscles and tendons and ligaments, members should also be, Christ's members, should also be closely united by bonds of love. The good of the whole should be the object of all. All Christians are dependent on one another. Each is to expect and to receive help from the rest. Let us therefore have more of the spirit of peace and unity in our faith.
2: The
3: theme of of our message this morning is going to be that God's plan of redemption continues to unfold with the birth here that we read about this morning of John the Baptist. This passage opens where where people are rejoicing. Rejoicing is giving God glory for his mercy because the life of Elizabeth and John were preserved. They did not take for granted one minute that any birth, that mom and baby would be safe. And yet here, Elizabeth, who is beyond the age of childbearing, uh, the age of a grandmother, now had conceived, carried John, and is now given birth. And people were rejoicing at that, at that safe and healthy birth. That mercy, Given to Elizabeth and to John, uh, comes under the theological heading of, of, or the definition rather, of that mercy is the gift of God's undeserved kindness and compassion. They didn't deserve it, they gave God the glory because He gave it. We then move forward in, this, in the passage after His birth. We, we immediately go to the eighth day. And the eighth day, following the commandment of Genesis 17, just after the passage we read this morning, Zechariah and Elizabeth proceeded to John's circumcision. And interestingly, as we know, based on 20th and 21st century medicine, that, that little babies, boys and girls, little babies are born with a certain ability to clot, a certain ability to heal. And that clotting factor goes up after day one of life, and day two, and day three, and guess where it peaks? It peaks right about the eighth day. So we know today that there is a design in who we are and in the law of God given in Genesis, uh, recorded for us in Genesis 17, where God is preserving and caring for our babies uh, in the covenant of circumcision in ways that people before this generation never even knew. So that was the commandment, and they followed the commandment well. But then we are confronted with a tradition. What is that tradition that we're confronted with here? That tradition in the first century, and up to the, I would say, maybe the 19th or even the 20th century, was that you name your baby after someone in your family. In this case... Everyone was surprised they weren't, that Zechariah was not naming his son, his first and only son, Zechariah. It's another thing that we need to reset our sensibilities about because many of you haven't named your children after, after dad or mom. Many of you have not done that, but 100 years ago or 200 years ago, that would have been commonplace. 2,000 years ago, it was near Scandal. Maybe not scandal. Maybe it was just a big deal. It was notable. We're going to name our our boy John. Then, after Zechariah affirms and confirms that John the Baptist's name would be John by writing on the tablet, remember that he has been mute, without speech, for nine months. He scrolls on the tablet... His name is John. And what happens? Zechariah is now able to speak, just like that. What an incredible moment for Elizabeth, for Zechariah, to come to that that conclusion because Zechariah knew very well, had been probably thinking every day, why has God taken my ability to speak? It's because I wasn't faithful it's because I didn't trust him at his word as delivered to me by Gabriel nine months ago. So he delivers that, he demonstrates that faith in action, and his speech is immediately uh, returned to him. Now, if we take a brief excursion from this text and fast forward to the 21st century where we live, how is it that change happens And that we receive the benefits of our obedience today. Well, it doesn't happen in exactly the same way. And I I want to direct your attention to a a brief passage in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verses 20 to 24, you might want to look up later. It wasn't in our scripture reading this morning. But taking this excursion, I want you to get the sense for how it is that sin is dealt with in the life of a believer today. Ephesians 4:20 to 24. But it is not that way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in, in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, that's code for sin. Stop sin and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Just like James says, it has its heart in what we think and do. And to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, so our minds are first and then our bodies follow in terms of our our obedience, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. When we encounter sin in our life, as we confessed earlier, We are to make diligent efforts by the power of the Spirit to put off that sin and to replace it, to put on righteousness. And you'll see plenty of examples right there in Ephesians 4. That was not the case in Zechariah. Zechariah had a miraculous restoration of speech. His vocal cords, which hadn't been used for nine months, all of a sudden he could speak again. Uh, let's not overlook this, this miracle at all. We then go to Zechariah's prophecy, and I do want to take note, first of all, of Luke's introduction to Zechariah's prophecy to him. Luke introduces this prophecy to us with a few important pieces of context. So Luke is thinking about what happened 60 years ago when Zechariah had his speech returned to him. The first words that came out of his mouth aren't to be taken lightly. Luke tells us by the inspiration of the Spirit that two things are in play here. One, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, Zechariah prophesied. Those are the words that Luke uses to call our attention to what's going to come next. So I want to just touch on each of those things. First of all, the result of the filling of the Spirit. This is not the only time in the New Testament we hear that that, um, phrase being used. The result of the filling of the Spirit is associated with great joy. So first of all, it's praise. It's rejoicing at all that God has done. And then secondly, power to witness in the form of clarity and truth. Have you ever felt befuddled when you're trying to explain the word of God to someone else? Have you ever experienced being able to be fluent and to be able to address something very clearly as you're you're teaching something to your children, to your neighbor, to, to your friend, to your brother? The second would be evidence of the filling of the Spirit, that clarity of truth. The second part that Luke calls attention to, I want to focus on as well, and that is that it goes on to say that Zechariah prophesied. Now, what is Zechariah's vocation? He's a priest. He offers sacrifices in the temple. That's what he's been doing his entire adult life into his, into his late years as, as we find him, as we encounter him here. But now the record of scripture that, that Luke gives us is that this is an entirely different category. It's prophecy. Now, you may have heard there are two different kinds of prophecy or prophetic speak. One is telling, that is, telling the truth that God has already revealed to us. That qualifies, as we read the passages of Scripture, as prophecy. You're telling the truth about what you know to be true based on the Word of God and Zechariah does some of that in what comes after. The second part of prophecy also is true of what we're about to hear, and that is that he is foretelling. He is telling what's going to happen in the future based on the work of the Spirit and being informed by the Spirit of God, both forthtelling and foretelling. So Zechariah has now gone from being a priest of God, a faithful priest, to also a prophet. And then we open to, to this Latin-sounding song. It's one of three at the beginning of, uh, of the Gospel of Luke. And this one is called the Benedictus. Well, that sounds very Latin. If, if you haven't studied Latin like I haven't studied Latin, it sounds very Latin. It sounds very, it sounds very stiff. Benedictus simply means blessed. Blessed. And it parallels, or it it is named this because the very first words that come out of Zechariah's mouth after nine months of being mute and is now able to speak, is blessed. He starts with that word. That's his first focus. And his first focus is on the Messiah and on the deliverance that the Messiah brings from the enemies in this life and hearkening back to covenant faithfulness that God has, has brought about in redeeming each of us. Now, one of the things that, that others who have studied original languages, help people like me who don't know Greek, it's Greek to me, is that they have pointed out some incredible, uh, incredibly interesting things in Greek in this passage. There's nothing ho-hum about the way in which Zechariah places this but it doesn't jump off the page. So I'm going to see if I, can, if I can shine the light or the microscope on that just a little bit. So when it says in verse 68, um, 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That word visited is, is one of these packed words. It has a lot of meaning connected to it. And it isn't just simply that he has visited like, the mailman has stopped by, or the neighbor came by to say, hi, how are you? This isn't as a casual observer. It has the intensity and the depth of meaning that God knows the details of our life. The very hairs are ahead of our heads are numbered. Our God is a personal God who watches and knows us very carefully and very deeply. This notion that, that he is praising this God Of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He knows us intimately. He knows us in our griefs. Some of us are grieving today. He knows our desires, our struggles, our temptations. He knows our emotions. He knows our state of mind. He knows our sin. We know this about God as we think about the Sunday school answer to what does God know about me, just about everything. And yet we don't necessarily live our lives in a way that reflects that. So my challenge of application to you today and to myself is that we live our lives Monday through Saturday in such a way that we keep in mind that God knows us intimately, he has visited his people. And this is cause for praise from Zechariah's lips. Next, as we continue in the passage, and and has raised up, he's visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. This is another one of those loaded words that if you're well steeped in, in Old Testament language, that horn is a represent represents um, Represents strength, represents power, that is coming in the form of salvation. Zechariah is saying that the dozens of Old Testament prophecies, and he refers to prophets of old as he goes on to verse seventy, of the coming Messiah, they are being fulfilled right now. Zechariah's eyes are opened. He is start. He is giving you the headline. You know that Messiah that we've read about in Psalms and Isaiah and all the way back from in Genesis chapter 3 and in, the, in our Testament, in the Bible? That is all being fulfilled right now in our lifetimes, right now. That is the horn of salvation, the power that he's speaking of there. And he's only repeating the truth that Gabriel told Mary, Remember when Gabriel visited Mary and told her that she would be bearing the Messiah? Zechariah knows that because Mary came to Elizabeth as she was expecting John the Baptist just three to four months before, and learned as well that this is happening. Then, as we move forward to verses 71 through 75, Zechariah draws from his richness of understanding of the Old Testament. And he fluently knits together key phrases and words from Psalm 105, Psalm 106, Micah 7, Leviticus 26, and Genesis 17 that we even read this morning, and Zephaniah 3, and even more. So if if you ever are interested in doing sort of a a cross-reference study from your study Bible... The Benedictus, this passage, 71 to 75, is a really interesting one to do that with because you can see very clear references to many of the words that Zechariah shares in his prophecy. You see many references that have direct links back to quotations in the Old Testament. So what does it mean to be a beneficiary of this horn of salvation, as we heard? That we shall be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. That's the Abrahamic covenant, the oath he swore to our father, Abraham. He doesn't make us guess which one it is to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Fear has been used incredibly in the past hundred years to manipulate people, And yet we have a solution to fear, and that is faith. That is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done, the the awesome horn of salvation that is before us. That we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before all of our days. He concludes this, this beautiful portion, the 71 to 75 with the true purpose of life. Has anyone ever asked you, or have you ever heard anyone ask, what is the purpose of life? There are a few places in the Bible that operate and that focus on different aspects of it. This, I would call your attention to be one of them. The true Christian life. What is it about? It's about rejoicing in God our Father. Not in fear. Always having two things in view. Holiness and righteousness. That's worth contemplating. That's worth thinking about. And if we go back just for a moment to Ephesians chapter 4 and we apply that, if your life is characterized by fear, put on faith. Put off fear, put on faith. If your life is plagued by life dominating sin, Put off that sin and put on righteousness and holiness. Do you see the application of this? Take those components of our sinful life that don't belong here anymore because we're a new creation and replace them without fear in holiness and righteousness. It's interesting as I was was doing some preparation and study here that this passage even makes it into the thinking of the Westminster divines, when the Westminster uh, divines were, were crafting the Westminster Confession of Faith, this, these last few verses of Luke chapter one find their way into um, chapter 20 of the Confession of Faith, how we are to live our lives. So I'd encourage you, take a look at, at chapter 20 if you have a moment. Um, it's a blessing. And then as we go back two weeks ago, as we proceed in the text, as we go back two weeks ago to the first Sunday of Advent, we read the first 25 verses of Luke chapter 1. So we are now at the conclusion of Luke chapter 1. It's been a long chapter, 80 80 verses. Verses 13 to 17 are relevant to what we're talking about right now. So what exactly did, let me remind you, what exactly did Gabriel tell Zechariah nine months ago? So again Zechariah is prophesying what happened what did Gabriel tell him 9 months before when he then lost the ability to speak In verses 13 to 17 this is what Luke 1 says But the angel Gabriel said to him Do not be afraid Zechariah for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Look at the fulfillment of what Gabriel told him nine months ago. You're going to have joy, you're going to have gladness, many are going to rejoice. for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or small, strong drink, and he will, will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts and fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Gabriel gave Zechariah a clue He said, this is what's going to happen. Now let's pay attention to what Zechariah says nine months later. That might have been sort of burned into his brain. He may have been reminded of it by the Holy Spirit, by the filling of the Spirit. But let's look at that prophecy that Gabriel first shared with Zechariah and Zechariah is now sharing with everyone who will listen, including us. And you as Zechariah speaks to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Exactly what Gabriel said. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Watch this part. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. That's not the S O N R I S E. That's S U N. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You might remember that that's a quote from the very last scripture passage we looked at. That that's, sounds a lot like Malachi 4, chapter 2. The sunrise from on high. We are flooded, flooded with the light of God's love. If it seems dim and distant, that's not because it's not there. We are flooded with the love of God. And then Luke, in his characteristic way, brings us incredible focus to the Benedictus. This, this brief paragraph, how long would it have taken Zechariah to say these words, maybe a minute or two. And then the last verse of what we know as Luke chapter 1, this is what Luke says And the child grew and became strong in spirit. That's John the Baptist. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. He covers 30 years. John grew up, he grew up in the wilderness. That's all I have to say about that. The details of John's growing up, they're not important to us. If they were important to us, the Holy Spirit would have provided them to us. So all we have is is that, and I for one am happy with that, I'm good with that. So as we enjoy this Advent season, as we prepare and move now to to a time of application, I'd like to appreciate a few things about what we read this morning, two. So I I guess I went from five or six points of application to one or two last week, and I'm I'm now settling in on two, I think, this week. I would encourage us this week to spend time in God's Word. Each of the three characters that we have watched closely in Luke chapter 1 show us that they were very familiar with God's Word. Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah. They even memorized portions of it. So this week, spend a bit more time in the Word. Read one more chapter this week than you did last week. Memorize one more verse this week than you did last week. Whichever of those pieces of God's Word Fit into the way that you study and love God. Because if we believe that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, our actions this week should reflect that. So I would encourage you to spend time in God's word following the awesome example of these, of these folks characterized for us in Luke chapter one. Secondly, and this may be more difficult because this hits hits us where the rubber meets the road, we absolutely must trust in God's providential care for us. We need to first look back and see that God has always been faithful. And that we need to consider, in this case, the trials of Elizabeth and of Zechariah and the amazing message that Gabriel brought to Mary. And now the blessings of the, of the birth of John the Baptist. And the prophetic knowledge that will announce the coming of the Messiah. Let's think about all of those things that we've looked at in the past few weeks. God is worthy of our praise and he's worthy of our trust in his providential care for us. Both in times of feast and in famine, in times of peace and war, in good times and in bad times. Place your trust in God regardless of what's going on around you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your providential love and care for us and for those who have come before us like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Thank you for preserving these words of the Benedictus, Zechariah's prophecy as a heartwarming reminder of your providential love and care for us over thousands of years. Bless us this week as we move from anticipating the celebration of Jesus' birth to a time of celebration of his birth, from anticipation to celebration. And we sing as we
2: come to the Lord's table this morning. We'll be looking at Hebrews 12, the first two verses. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thus ends the reading of God's word. This morning I would like us to consider the endurance of Christ as we seek to run faithfully the race that is set before us today. Christ enduring the cross and the shame was possible because of joy, a joy that saw him sitting down at the right hand of the Father reigning in glory joy which we hear thrown around a lot in this advent christmas season is defined by as the emotion evoked by well-being success or good fortune or the prospect of possessing what one desires this is a feeling that we experience only in part now but that was perfected in christ as he faithfully obeyed his father's will Our ability to endure and lay aside our sin calls for us to fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us eat this meal then remembering Christ, fixing our eyes on him who is our joy, our greatest heart's desire. The gifts of God for the people of God. The body of Christ, broken for you, let's pray.
0: and blessings.